Hello and welcome to Sportivation. I am your host, Thomas Jones IV. And today I have a very special guest with me, Justin Downs, who hails from the city of Chicago. How are you doing today, JD? I'm doing good, Tom. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, so initially I was going to have you on this episode to discuss the NFC North. But instead, Mm -hmm. with today being the first day of the NBA playoffs, I actually want to talk about each of the eight series that are going to be played over the next two weeks in both the East and Western Conference. So JD's a basketball fan, Chicago Bulls fan. So he's, he's suffered as much as I have the last few years of just watching. So I want to actually start this episode by just going over the eight bubble games and talking about some of the guys that stood out during that session. So the NBA released it's uh, what they're calling the seeding games, all first team, all second team. And to start this conversation, there's really only two players that were even worthy of being mentioned in this MVP conversation during the eight games. That would have been Damian Lillard from the Portland Trailblazers and Devin Booker, as both of those players carried their teams down the stretch. Uh, Phoenix specifically went 8-0 in the bubble, the only team to go undefeated. So what was your analysis of the way that Lillard and Booker played in these bubble games? Well, Lillard, I mean, he told his team that he would get them to the playoffs, and, I mean, he delivered. He, you know, Dame Dollar, he came through, big shot after big shot for them. Um, You know, timely buckets by Melo at the end of some of those games were big for them. CJ stepped up, and they got, you know, they got uh, Nurkic back, which made them a whole different team watching them with having Nurkic and Whiteside. Um, two big men. So I think Portland, I mean, I think they could give Lakers a run for their money because during the season, you know, they just weren't healthy. So I think they're definitely a different team than they were in the regular season. And I'm excited to see that first round matchup. Yeah, I am too, especially considering the fact that the last regular season game Portland and Los Angeles Lakers played was in LA. And it was about two or three days after Kobe Bryant had passed away. So it was like the first game that the Lakers have played since his passing. And if I recall correctly, I think Lillard dropped almost 50 points on the Lakers in that game. Yeah. It went off. So that's going to be a series that we, as a casual NBA fan, are salivating over. I don't remember the last time in either conference, East or West, that a one versus eight matchup had this much background drama as well as the possibility that this could go seven games. I mean, can you think of one maybe in the last five years that, that had this type of hype going um, into the series? Well, Hype? Um, no, I can't think of one. But as a Bulls fan, I have to bring up um, when we took the Celt- we won the first two games versus the Celtics, um, Isaiah Thomas' Celtics. Mm-hmm. We beat them in Boston the first two games, um, the Jimmy and D-Wade team. Right. That was so Rondo going off. Yeah. Rondo got hurt and, you know, it fell apart. But, but there wasn't the hype like this one, obviously, because it wasn't the star players. But... That was a good one versus eight instead of the typical, you know, the one sweeps the eighth seed with no drama. Exactly. And and for me, I think the last time I can remember an eight seed giving a one seed problems may have been that Baron Davis, Stephen Jackson led Warriors team that upset the best record in the West at the time, the Dallas Mavericks back in 2010. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So since then, I mean, it's been pretty much the one seed has advanced with little to no problem. And. If you're a Lakers fan, this is probably the one team that you did not want to see in the first round. I think they could have handled the Mavericks matchup-wise, but 
if if you're a Lakers fan, I don't want to see a red hot Damian Lillard. And you mentioned Nurkic, Nurkic coming back, as well as Melo hitting those corner threes, and McCollum, who is playing with a broken back, but still a guy that can get to any spot on the court and get you 22 points a game. Oh, I definitely agree, Tom. The only problem is I just think the Lakers are going to score easy, easier buckets than Portland. You know, Lillard still has to work pretty hard for his basket. CJ has to work hard. Mm-hmm. And they've just shown in the last few years of the playoffs that over a series, especially towards the end of games, they just wear down because they have to work so hard for their points. And I just think LeBron and AD, it's just the game's going to come a lot easier to them. Especially LeBron because Portland doesn't really still hasn't really been able to answer that wing. I mean, Melo, don't get me wrong, I love what Melo's doing, but we all know, you know, on defense, <laughs> he's not gonna put up much of a fight against LeBron. No, so. no, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think LeBron's points are gonna come easier, and by the fourth quarter, I think the games will be real exciting. But I think in the fourth quarters of the games, I think AD and LeBron are gonna pull through. And I don't, honestly, I don't even see it being too long of a series. I just think the games are going to be real good, if that makes sense. Yes. Really good games, but not a long series. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards that as well. I think this, at the most, could go six games. I do think the Lakers have too much rest, too much firepower at the top of their lines because of the fact that no one's going to guard LeBron in Portland, and no one's going to be able to really handle Anthony Davis. They might throw Nurkic, Hassan Whiteside at him, maybe Zach Collins yeah. in some spurts, but... His versatility, if he's able to hit that 20-footer and then step out to the three-point range, then it's going to be a real problem for Portland. And to your point about Portland not being able to finish these games, that was what we saw in that Western Conference Finals last year against Golden State. They had, and that was a fleet. Right, they had, what, 13-point leads in each of those games, and they let those leads uh, disintegrate throughout that game. So, again, Portland this year, too, also in the bubble, all all eight of their games have been close, where they've had to play 48-minute games down to the wire. So, I'm interested to see if that Professor Fatigue... Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little exhausted. You know, the Lakers have been able to rest, obviously, having clinched the number one seed, so... Um, I just think they're going to wear Portland out. Mm-hmm. I think AD and LeBron are going to be just too much. So uh, I, I don't see it going as long as some people think, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think the only way that it does is if the Lakers' abysmal three-point shooting that we've seen the last eight games continues. Yeah. If Kuzma, Caruso, KCP, some of those guys off the bench, J.R. Smith, Deion Waiters, aren't able to hit those open looks and force LeBron and Anthony Davis to be the only guys that are able to score consistently – then that's going to be the thing that's going to keep Portland in this game because this this is really an old-school type of uh, matchup because both teams have the traditional center with Nurkic and Dwight Howard slash Bill McGee. Those are guys that aren't spacing the floor. They're really in the low post, getting rebounds. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll come up to the high posts you know, to set up some, some back cuts and a little bit of offensive motions, things like that. But for the most part, the, the game is going to be one of the trenches and offensive rebounding is going to be the key. Oh, I, I definitely agree, but um, I think I just don't think it's uh, Lakers. It's gonna be no surprise how Portland plays them. They're gonna pack the paint. Mm-hmm. They're gonna make the Lakers shooters hit shots. Lakers are gonna see that against any team they play. But I just think I think they're gonna hit enough shots, and even with the paint being um, clogged and doing that, and doing that, you still have to have people that can are physically able to, you know, get in front of LeBron. 
because he's seen yes. you know he's seen paint defense before it's not his first time so so uh, I just uh, I don't see it working to be honest with you yeah I, I agree and again LeBron James is approaching the end of his career he's 35 years old but all he did this season was lead the NBA in assists at 10.2 a game which is he is the only player in the NBA this year to average over 10 assists a game so he's still showing that facilitating prowess he's getting 25 a game He's getting almost five points off of turnovers a game, which is going to be huge in the series because Portland turns the ball over a lot. Yes, they do. The Lakers are, what were they, the second best defense in the league? Yep, right First behind uh, Toronto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, I look at that stat a little different about LeBron's 10 assists. A lot of people are saying, wow, 10 is, 10, uh, averaging 10 assists in the 17th season and stuff. I, look, I couldn't believe it was his first season averaging 10 assists. <laughs> Because, I mean, he's been considered, him and, you know, Chris Paul is the best passers mm-hmm. of our generation. It's, so it's amazing that uh, it took him to the 17th. You know, it's not his fault. He's the, your teammates got to hit the shot. But right. it's amazing right. that one of his, you know, the Heat teams or, you know, the Cleveland team that had all those shooters, he wasn't able to uh, average 10 assists. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah, so I I feel like Lakers fans are going to use what you just said as the silver lining as to how they're going to get to the finals this year. They feel like they might have not the best supporting cast LeBron has ever had. I think Anthony Davis is clearly the best number two option he's had. But it looks like because you mentioned the 10.2 assists, him finally getting to that that mark, that players, at least in the regular season, were able to hit those shots. Now, if they're able to translate that into the playoffs, then yeah, this Lakers team is dangerous. Well, how do you feel about the atmosphere of the bubble? Because my thinking is, doesn't it feel like it's going to take some pressure off of role players because you're not going on the road into hostile environments? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It kind of feels a little more pickup game-ish. Yeah, it, it know, is. Obviously, a highly intense pickup game, but you know what I'm saying? Without the crowd there? I totally agree there? with that, yes. Because of the fact that role players are the key to teams making deep runs. We saw this last year with Toronto, Danny Green, Fred Van Fleet. Yeah. I'm not going to call Kyle Lowry a role player, but in the grand scheme of what he was doing, that it was his role to be the number two guy and make some tough shots, and he did that. So yeah. having to do this now in a, a arena where you've already played eight games, you're starting to get familiarity with the rims and how you know where everything is spaced on the court. I totally agree. I think that there isn't as much pressure as there typically would be in a playoff series uh, for these role players to get big shots and get their opportunities. But even with that said, I still think that the stars still have even more pressure now because of that same idea. You don't have fans. You don't have maybe some guys might feed off the energy of the crowd. Might not have that anymore like the Joel Embiid's of the world. It's, it's going to be interesting to yeah. see how he does. But with the Lakers, but, I, I don't think that's going to be much of a problem, honestly. Even with um, – I think it's easier for the stars, though, to enclose themselves in this bubble because there's not as much media right. in the bubble. You know, it's much easier to stay off of the social medias. You don't have fans reminding you, like, you know, like Harden, you don't have fans reminding you that you've choked some playoff series. And you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like you're going to see a lot lose some of the stars like Harden that are going to play a little looser in this bubble, to be honest with you. Right. And having that three month layoff, I think, is going to help them as well. I mean, LeBron yeah. has played eight finals in a row up until last year. So him not making the playoffs last year, now having this three month gap to get his body back you know back to where it needed to be is going to be crucial for this playoff run yeah no i definitely i definitely agree with that he uh gained a lot 
you probably gain the most out of the stars to um with the layoff. That in Portland, they gained a lot mm-hmm. of the layoff by getting their team back together. Right. And Melo, you know, Melo dropped some pounds and got, you know, got back in shape because he had been out of basketball for a minute. So I think so I I, I like that they play each other because I think they've gained the most from the layoff, to be honest, these two teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that when you talk about Damian Lillard, for example, I, I'm curious to see what Frank Vogel's uh, defensive philosophy is going to be, especially if this is a series that goes to five or six games. When do you think would be the time of the game that he decides to start putting LeBron on him? Well, as a Bulls fan, I can speak from experience that LeBron switched to Derrick Rose in any close fourth quarter game when we played, used to play the Heats, battled the Heat in the playoffs. So from experience, I'm going to say that if the if the game's ever close in the fourth, that's when LeBron will move to him. Usually about that midway point in the fourth is when LeBron used to switch on to Derrick Rose mm-hmm. and really gave us problems. And that's why we couldn't beat them down the stretch, to be honest with you. Right. And and I think that's, again, going to be Portland's issue because now that's going to make CJ McCollum the guy that's going to have to score. And not only is he playing with that that back injury, but that pain is going to be very clogged at the same time. So and what he does so well is he gets that two dribble to the elbow and he can pull up. He can hit like a little bit of a leaner shot, a floater. He's got a lot Mm -hmm. of crafty moves around that 15 to 18 foot range. So with LeBron on the side. Who will be on him if LeBron moves on to Lillard? Mm-hmm. Danny Green will move to CJ. Exactly. You know, CJ with a bad back against Danny Green. You know, it, it could be a little tough. That's why, you know, like we were talking about earlier. I just think down the stretch, I just think baskets will be easier for the Lakers. I personally. All right. So your prediction is Lakers in five. Uh, I'll go Lakers in five. I'll give I'll give Dame one out of respect. But it would not surprise me if if the series just went like how um, Portland versus the Warriors last year Mm -hmm. that you mentioned where they had a lead going into those fourth quarters and lost and still got swept. That wouldn't surprise me at all if if that happened. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll give Dame some respect and go uh, Lakers in five. Yeah, after the performance that we've seen from the last uh, two weeks out of Damian Lillard, especially that 60-point game where uh, that was his third 60-point game of the year, which – him and Wilt Chamberlain, the only two players ever accomplished that feat. Unbelievable. Yes. I think I think I'll give him one or two games because to me David Lillard is is the modern version of Allen Iverson, the way that he's been playing right now. He's he's telling but even but he's got better. Even these better games where yet. he's went um you know, he's went off though, it still has come down to like a three point win against the Sixers. He puts up you know, I forgot how many points exactly yet against the Sixers. Oh, Fifty one against uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. And that was like a three point. You know, it's just had some, all these games in the bubble have been close. Mm-hmm. And he's been putting on these performances. The Lakers are a different beast. And, you know, I just, <laughs> that's a lot of work to win by three points or five points. You know what I'm saying? Against teams that are not the Lakers, much worse. So. Exactly. So it's going to be tough for him. I, again, it will be a great series to watch, but I'm with you there. I do think it's going to go maybe five or six games. So I'll, I'll go ahead and give him two say that he wins mm-hmm. wins a couple and, and give it to Lakers in six. Yeah. So moving on here, we're going to look at the Eastern Conference now. And really the only match, there's only a couple of matchups that, that I think are going to really be worth watching this first round. But let's start with the four or five matchup in the East, Indiana and Miami. I mean, this is to me an old fashioned, like a 1990s uh, style yes, style uh, playoff series here with two teams in this, yeah. that hate each other, great defensive players, guys that are, 
not necessarily shooters that are the stars of this team, surrounded by shooters and the physicality in the paint. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you. And that's the Heat really have Jimmy's identity all over them when you mm-hmm. watch them play. You know, it's not the smoothest game, um, but they are a real tough team. And the Pacers are a tough team because, you know, they don't have a lot of star power either. Olin Depot's just getting back into basketball shape, obviously, after he was hurt for a while. So I think this one is going to – I think the games are going to be around in the 90s each game. Yep. But I'm, I'm going to take Miami in six in this one. Yeah, I think this one – honestly feel like this one could go seven. It really depends yeah. on – how Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner play. I think that's going to be the key because Bam Adebayo has played phenomenally this season. He's one of the most improved player finalists for the 2019-2020 season. And I think in order to counterbalance that, Bam and Jimmy, again, are the two stars in Miami. They're not going to shoot the ball tremendously well from the three-point line, but they surround themselves with guys like Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic, and Kendrick Nunn, guys that can hit that three-point shot. When they're shooting, they're shooting. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's not pretty, but when they when those shooters are hitting their shots, Miami can put up some points. Exactly. And, and on the flip side, Indiana really doesn't have that. Brogdon, after surprising the world last season, having that 50-40-90 shooting campaign, is mm-hmm. down to 32.6% from the three-point line this year. Can I note that I totally disagreed with the Bucks' move to let him go and keep Bledsoe. Oh, yeah. No, I'm with you. I did not agree with that move with you on that. At all. (laughs) And I have to give Brogdon credit because of the fact that every, I mean, even though he's always been a point guard, when he was with Milwaukee, he was playing off the ball. Giannis is the one taking up the court. So, for Brogdon to come into Indiana and become their primary ball handler and average 16.5 points per game along with seven assists, really shows you how talented and underrated his skill set is. Oh, I, I definitely agree. He's a good defender at the point guard spot to guard the one or the two mm-hmm. on the other team. Definitely, as, as you talked about, really good catch-and-shoot situation. Yep. You know, he's getting better on the pick-and-roll game, getting his offense down that way, and they're going to need that, as you mentioned. But uh, Malcolm Brogdon, he, he belongs on a win. He's going to be on winning rosters because he's a, he's a winning-type player. You know, he's not a star point guard, but he's. if I can't get one of the stars at my point guard spot, I want a guy like him. Exactly. And the only thing about this series that I really wish we could see is is if the Pacers still had DeMontis Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb out there. That would make this go seven if they had these two guys. They combined for 31 points a game, 16.7 rebounds per game, and seven assists. So that's those are huge production numbers that are that are being taken out of this rotation for the Pacers. That, yeah, definitely. That's a bonus. Uh, his first All-Star appearance this year. Yeah, that was definitely a big uh, big hit to them. And if they still had them, had them, um, I would probably be with you. And I would say I would still go Heat because I, I like the Heat a little more. But if they had those two, then game I would see Game 7 run all over the series. Right. And without those two, I think this is going to go six games. I think yeah. Miami outlasts Indiana. DJ Warren, who we haven't even mentioned yet, who's averaging 31 points and six rebounds in uh, Orlando, is going to have a tough time with Jimmy Butler. I mean, he's going to be following him almost every single possession in every game. And then when Jimmy Butler comes out the game, they have Jay Crowder and Andre Godala to come in and do the exact same thing. Yeah, and, you know, TJ, it was it was amazing to see the points he put up in this short span in the bubble, the short eight game. But 
I, I just I don't see that continuing into a playoff series where the defense is tighter, the there's less fouls called, and defense mm-hmm. is constantly making adjustments. It's one thing to score, but then reading a defense on how they're playing you every game, that's like that's something even the great players have to adjust to season by season. Exactly. So, so I just don't see him picking up on all that to be leading a team in the playoffs after just an eight-game stretch. Exactly. And and those of us that really watched these games carefully, yes, TJ Warren was scoring at will, but if you noticed, all of his buckets were coming off of those elbow screens where he's running curls. Yeah. Getting like bigger guys like Ben Simmons, Anthony Davis caught in that those double screens, and he's turning and facing and hitting threes. He's not going to get that against the, the Heat. This is one of the best defensive teams when it comes to fighting over screens that I've seen in the NBA this year. Yeah, I totally agree. They're a, like we talked about. They're a very tough team. They're not gonna switch as much. They're gonna try to get over mm-hmm. that screen, which is which is a lost art in the NBA. Now everybody just yep. stops at the screen and says, you know, pick up my guy, <laughs> switch. Yep. Just calls out switch. So the Heat, you know, they play with Jimmy Butler's kind of mindset, and uh, I don't see them letting T.J. Warren knock them, mm-hmm. send them home out the bubble. So uh, I think the Pacers, you know, I I think next year. We'll see what they do in the offseason. I think they'll be back in maybe a top five seeded team, possibly, depending on mm-hmm. how their offseason goes. And I love Nate McMillan as a coach. He does a great job with whoever they give him, even when Nolan Depot was out. But uh, I'm going Heat here. Yeah. All right. So the Heat and Pacers, I'm taking Miami as well. I'm thinking this goes six games. I'm really interested to see how Tyler Hero does in this playoff series because. This is yet another guy from Kentucky that we never really got to see his full potential while he was in college, but now we're starting to see what his skill set is. And I don't want people to think that he's just a three-point shooter. This kid can get to the rim. He can mm-hmm. hit the mid-range. He's starting to learn the nuances of how to run off the ball, run off screens, and get open. And, I mean, his jump shot is water. And I love his confidence, too. He doesn't stop shooting. You know, he might have his bad shooting game and stuff, but it seems like his confidence always stays you know, up, which is very good for a young player because you're going to go through ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I believe that having Goran Dragic as well as Jimmy Butler on this team has to be so beneficial for the younger guys like Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero, because now you get to see the veterans, you know, that have been in the playoffs before show you, okay, this is what's going to happen in game one. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to happen later in the series when we start making adjustments and they'll be able to give those on the fly advice and just different little aspects to help them progress throughout their you know the rookie and younger campaigns yeah i'm excited i'm excited to see the heat not only this playoff series obviously but really to the years coming up because if i'll tell you what if they could sign one more guy to help you know like one more of those star free agents that Mm -hmm. team could be that that could become a top one or two team in the east if they could keep the rest of their team obviously but with right. Bam, the young guys, you know, Kendrick Nunn, who got hurt. Um, yeah, uh, I see this team really having a bright future ahead of them. Yeah, and they've set their, themselves up financially to go out and get that second star. Uh, yeah. Maybe a, a Bradley Beal or a Zach Levine. Exactly. Someone, someone like, that. like that. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. someone like that. And you might be talking about the Heat possibly in the finals next year. Uh, this year would be probably a little, that'd be a stretch for them this year, but... If they have the right offseason, you could be seeing the Heat in the finals next year. Yeah, no, I, I definitely could see that in their near future. So 
Now I want to take a look at the four or five matchup in the West. And to, to me, this is probably going to be the most talked about first round series just because of all the bad blood between Chris Paul and James Harden and the Rockets. Oh, yeah. So Russell Westbrook uh, missing, we're not sure how many games at this point. It looks like it's going to be at least the first two games is going to be a huge question mark to see if that's enough for the Thunder to upset the Rockets here. Yeah, I I think, I mean, this Thunder team, got to love got to love the underdog right everybody loves underdog what did espn index give them a point zero two i don't know point two percent chance or something of making the playoffs i know i saw that picture on social media mm-hmm. and so i love that they had nothing to lose there's no pressure on them nobody expected them to be there and the rockets it's a totally different story you got westbrook and harden who arguably are the two most under pressure stars to get something mm-hmm. done in the league so i love how that's gonna pan out when games if games are close if i'm the thunder i just preach keep the keep the game close and let's see if we can mess with them mentally you know let's see if they break because if they're blowing you out then there's no pressure obviously but mm-hmm. if those games are close now let's make Harden and westbrook hit that big shot when they know the in the back of their heads they're thinking Oh, we, what will everybody say if we get eliminated again? <laughs> you know, the first round or, you know yep. what I'm saying? So if I'm the Thunder, keep that game close and maybe the pressure might just break the Rockets. Yeah, so so co-coach uh, of the year, Billy Donovan, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think he's done really well that I didn't expect to see was him playing both Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the same time. Yeah, I've always seen SGA as a point guard, which he is, but because of having Chris Paul, obviously SGA has been playing off ball this season and the numbers have really helped prove that he can do this. I mean, he's averaging 19 points a game, six rebounds and four assists. He's averaging 35% from the three point line, which is right where you want to be for, you know, a younger player like him. Another great pick by Jerry West, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's yep. not forget to mention that he, he really, um, it was reported. He really did not want to trade Shea Gillikas, uh, but you know, he couldn't pass up obviously on teaming up Paul George with Kawhi, but that was another great pick, uh, pick for Jerry West. I think he got picked 12th or 13th, one of those. Mm-hmm. And he's tall, you know, he's lengthy. He could play one or two, as you just talked about. He could play with another point guard. He seems to, the, the speed of the game is not too much for him. He seems to go at his own pace, have patience as a young player, which is very good. You know, very good when the game's not too fast for you. So I I don't know, if, you know, will he be able to be the leading scorer on the, you know, the Thunder in the playoff series and take them over the Rockets? I don't know yet, but I'm not going to put it past them. I, I really like Shea. Yeah, he has an extremely bright future. And again, mm-hmm. yet another guy from University of Kentucky. So for me, going looking at this from the Thunder's perspective, Steven Adams has to dominate this series if they're going to win because of Definitely. the fact that Houston is running that five-out offense. Mm-hmm. EJ Tucker at six foot five is their center. Yes. So Steven Adams has to dominate on the boards. He's got to get those putback opportunities, and he's got to run the floor. I totally agree. Uh, beating the Rockets, you need a. They're they're used to getting out rebounded, but you have to you have to make the second chance points really count. It's not mm-hmm. enough to just grab another rebound. You need to, whether it's grab the rebound and kick out to a shooter. You know he needs to um, take advantage of that because, I mean that's their their weakness as we all know. <laughs> they're playing with a small forward type of build at center, so 
as you said, Stephen Adams needs to dominate the boards. This is his biggest thing. He's not really a post-up player, but, you know, those second-chance rebounds are crucial. Right, and it's kind of funny when you think about Houston and all the pressure that they're under. Mm-hmm. I almost take the opinion that because they've had this three-month layoff, I think this is going to be the best version of James Harden we've seen in the playoffs. Because usually by now, he's been worn out his usage rate, which always is talked about, one of the highest in the NBA. Now that he's got some time to rest, and he really didn't play too much in the eight games during that seeding process, is going to be a guy that I think is going to just be unguardable. I mean, he obviously is in the regular season, but in the playoffs, especially in this series, Chris Paul, SGA, Schroeder, Gallinari, whoever they decide to put on James Harden, you know he's going to give you 30 points every game. I I totally agree with that time. I think we are going to see an explosive James Harden. I think, you know, with his first step, because that's an underrated part of his game, is how Mm -hmm. good his first step is getting to the rim. Because you look at him, you know, he doesn't, (laughs) he looks a little, you know, you know, he doesn't look like the typical uh, (laughs) athletic, you know, uh, player, but his, that first, that quick first step he has is a very underrated part of his game if you press up too much. So, I think mm-hmm. that's gonna he's gonna look really explosive, but I think with it's all on Westbrook's health because the problem yep. with the Rockets if the second playmaker isn't there is Harden. That's a shoot you know shooting those type of shots he shoots all game is that takes a toll and you eventually like we were talking about with Damian Lillard eventually you get you know your legs get tired your body gets tired and down the stretch I think. It's not always just him choking. I just think, honestly, he gets tired because how they play offense, every play goes through him. So I think it really depends on Westbrook's health because he needs he needs Westbrook to take some of those possessions away from him. Yes, he does. And what I've actually been uh, glad to see from Mike D'Antoni is he hasn't tried to make Russell Westbrook anything that he's not. Mm-hmm. He's still allowing Russell to hit those take those pull-up mid-range jumpers that's taboo for anybody else to take in the Rockets uh, roster. Let's Russell. I think one of the great things about having James Harden is Russell doesn't have to play on ball as much anymore, which is giving him the opportunity to to fight off fatigue and stay fresh out on the court. Yeah, the unfortunate part about it is part of the reason they traded Chris Paul and got Westbrook is his health because Chris Paul... um, you know, whether it's just injury prone or bad luck, he seems to get hurt in the playoffs throughout mm-hmm. his career all the time. Then they go get Westbrook, who doesn't get hurt really at all. One of yep. the few players that, you know, has played 82 regular season games. And all of a sudden now he's hurt for the playoffs. Like the Rockets can't catch a break with that. So um, we'll see how that pans out. But that was a that was a real tough break for them. Absolutely. And let's say that Westbrook comes back in game three or game four. Mm-hmm. I think that might be enough for Houston to get out of this series alive with Harden playing at his level and Westbrook being able to be that second ball handler. Now, Eric Gordon, who is supposed to play in this series, yeah, is, is going to be a big, big piece. Probably the X factor of this series for Houston. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Eric Gordon, for a couple of years now, he went to the Rockets and... I think he revamped his career in a way. You know, Eric Gordon out of high school and college, he, you know, he had a lot of hype. He, mm-hmm. he, you know, he lived up to it when he's on the court, but, you know, he had injury problems and stuff. And then he comes to Houston and has really played really good, almost all-star caliber, you know, 
for the Rockets. So he's a big part of their offense, and that's another person they really need back on the court. Yeah, he's a guy that people forget that he doesn't just hit hit shots that are wide open. He can hit the, exactly. that mid-range one dribble step back where he can hit a tough shot in somebody's face. Like he's, he's like hard in that score. I'll say that. I mean, he might yes, be an all-star player, yeah. but shot creator as well. Scorer. Yeah, exactly. So they, I mean, it goes without saying. Obviously, you need Westbrook, a former MVP, out there, and Eric Gordon, an all-star score, to play. I mean. You know, you can't, I know the easy narrative is always if Harden loses, Harden choke. But facts are facts. You need your players out there. A lot. Of, imagine taking the second and third best player out of any team, mm-hmm. <laughs> and let you know they're gonna have some problems. So let's see how that pans out. Yeah. So I, what do you think is gonna be the the final tally here? I know it's gonna be hard to predict based on Westbrook's health, but. I'll go off of the assumption he comes back in Game 3. Who do you think is going to win the series? Uh, I'm going to give the nod to the Rockets on this one. Um, I'm going to go Rock- I, I'm gonna go Rockets in 7. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the same. I think it's going to go 7 games. If Westbrook misses anywhere between 1 and 2 games, I think it'll go the distance. Chris Paul will have a vintage game. I think Steven Adams is going to be a problem for them all series long, but... The issue with the Thunder seems to be the same thing they've always had issues with. Is their bench is five guys that do the exact same thing. They're all athletic. They can't shoot. That can play defense. So yeah. if if they're getting behind in Houston's bench, like especially Austin Rivers, if he's scoring 15 points off the bench, Daniel House is hitting threes, Covington's hitting threes, then that's going to really start to man up on the Thunder. And over that course of a seven-game series, I just don't think they have enough depth uh, to handle this Rockets team, especially when Westbrook comes back. I, I totally agree. Rockets full, fully healthy. I I believe uh, they'll get past the Thunder. The only reason I really got it going seven is because of the injuries like we talked mm-hmm. about. Exactly. So now let's talk about the Sixers and Celtics. This was a series that I was really looking forward to about two yeah, weeks ago. And and for the just the reason that Ben Simmons on Jason Tatum, I mean Two young stars, guys that are going to be carrying the face of the NBA moving forward. When the Sixers and Celtics played this year, Philadelphia won three out of four times. When Simmons was guarding Jason Tatum, he shot five of 16, which is only 33%. And Simmons completely shut him down. So Simmons, again, not going to play in the series, dislocated his kneecap out for the season. So now the Celtics have the clear advantage in terms of their star players and, and a little bit in the depth area. But they don't. The, the biggest thing that the series is going to come down to is how healthy Joel Embiid can be for the Sixers. Yeah. Um, well, this is, you know, with the ongoing debate in the NBA circle of is this the last year of Embiid and Simmons on the same team? Mm-hmm. Who should who should you get rid of? I think Embiid is going to take this one personal. I think you're going to see a very dominant Embiid, especially because the Celtics are. You know, I would say they're, that's their weak spot is the center position. So it I is, absolutely. Guys, yeah, so I, I I think the Celtics, I got the Celtics winning this series in five, but I think you are going to see a dominated lead because I think he has something to uh, to definitely prove to people about who should be the star of the six, uh, Sixers going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, I don't know if you're going to take this as a joke or not, but him being the bubble is probably the best thing that could have happened for Joel because – as we know, Philadelphia is an extremely volatile market. 
oh yeah fans the fans will come after you if you have a poor game yeah. and with Joel Embiid he's had injury problems oh, last year was really game. bad quarter <laughs> start uh-huh. doing you after a bad quarter <laughs> yes they will <laughs> yeah. and with Embiid last year I mean part of it wasn't even just his health it was just his nutritional habits I mean he was yeah he, he missed a game with uh, I believe it was flu-like symptoms or food poisoning because of uh, Chick-fil-A or Shake Shack, whatever it was he had that day that, that didn't sit well with him. Him being the bubble actually is a is a benefit because now he's not able to go out and get those those meals that aren't necessarily great for NBA players to, to partake in. Well, well, let me start off with asking you this, Tom. You got the Celtics winning the series? I do, yes. But, well, let me let me bring up something like that's so interesting to me if you're Elton Brand, the GM of the Sixers. Mm-hmm. You got one hand Simmons who stays in great physical shape um but has uh I don't know the psychological you know things that go into it but won't shoot the ball and is seeing a therapist about it you have that on one hand if you want to give hand him the keys because you're handing the keys to whoever you decide in that situation you're handing the keys to the franchise to that person so you got to trust them on the court obviously and you have to trust their leadership Mm-hmm. So you got Simmons on one hand with those problems, and then you have Embiid with his psychological problems of staying in shape, his mindset. Shaq has questioned his his motor on multiple yep. occasions. He sometimes gets lazy. Mm-hmm. So if you're Elton Brand and you do decide you want to split them up, man, that's a tough. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. be easy about whoever I handed the franchise <laughs> over to. <laughs> I like yeah, it. if I'm Elton Brand, I'm seeing a therapist myself to try to figure that one <laughs> exactly. out. Exactly, he's gonna need his own therapist, like you said. <laughs> That's a great like, point. Yeah, I don't know who you hand over the franchise to, but you, whoever you decide, it's it's you're not gonna do it peacefully. It's not gonna be a peaceful decision. You're gonna be sweating and shaking a little bit because both of them give you cause to pause. And, and what makes things worse for Philadelphia fans, it, I don't necessarily know if you have financial flexibility to really get much in return. Now, I know Simmons and Embiid have the max contracts, but they still have Tobias Harris on a max contract. They signed Al Horford to that, that four-year, $100 million deal in the offseason. Yeah. So money is really tight here for Philadelphia. I don't necessarily know what their return would be if they get rid of one of the two. Well, they can match um, the salary of Simmons. Uh, right, that would help, so, yeah. Yeah, so that helps because he just signed the max, you know, the max he could sign, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that helps in your return. But um, I think you would get more for Simmons if you decided to keep him beat. But I think the better option is you give the team over to Simmons and build around him. Because even with his shooting concerns, I think if you build a Bucks-like team, I think that team would have more success than a team built around and beat, personally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I'm not going to be the type of person to throw blame at any particular person, but the second that Ben Simmons was drafted and they all of them throughout the organization said he is a point guard, mm-hmm. I think that was the moment where we kind of realized that the Simmons and B dynamic really wasn't going to work because exactly. Simmons is is really like a left-handed Giannis with LeBron's passing ability. I mean, that's essentially what he plays like. He's a monster in the transition game, a great defender, super athletic. Yeah. And and beat again, that, that paint gets clogged when the two of them are on the court together. So, Well, if you're the Sixers, you don't want to wait as long as it took the Cavs to realize what kind of team mm-hmm. those type of guys needed because the Cavs for years gave – I mean, I was – you know, I'm a – 
basketball guy, so I, I sometimes go back and watch old games and stuff. And just the other day, I was watching uh, LeBron, his first stint with the Cavs. Ben Wallace and Shaq were out there, I think. I saw it <laughs> Like, yeah. you got LeBron, young LeBron who doesn't even, you know, this is before he even had a solid jumper who lives in the paint, and you throw out, like, two big men? They can't shoot. That's crazy. Like Brown for you. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Like if you're the Sixers, you don't want to wait till he's thirty something to realize, hey, you know he'd be better off with a spaced out team so he can go downhill. And if he develops the jump shot, great. But if he doesn't, hey, at least he has open paint and can take advantage of smaller guards that are sometimes guarding him. So, um, yeah. So if you're Elton Brand, you don't want to wait too long to figure that out. No, and then from the the Boston fan perspective, I think really what you want to see out of this series is if Kemba Walker is 100% healthy. I I think Tatum and Brown have proven over the last really three years. I know last year they struggled in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. but that 2017-18 year, they both were playing phenomenal ball. And I I think that we're going to see that same level from them this year. It's really up to Kemba Walker now. I mean, he's never really been in the situation before, you know, playing Charlotte formally where he has a chance to not necessarily even have to be the number one guy, but still have that playoff pressure on him. That's a good point because he is a veteran, but he's not a playoff veteran. You know, the, the other players, actually, the young players on this team actually have more playoff experience since they just got out of a seven-game series with LeBron, you know, the last year or whatever. I mean, not last year, but you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. previous history. So Kemba is a veteran on that team, but he's not a playoff veteran. So it will be it will be interesting to see how that, uh, how that plays out with him. Is he going to press too hard? But Kemba seems like a level-headed person. I like him for this team because he's yeah. going to let Tatum be that number one guy. Kyrie, you know, he's so much talent, obviously. I don't think he was going to ever hand over the number one scoring option again after LeBron was the number one scorer. I think the whole reason Kyrie left Cleveland was because he wanted to be the guy. So he wasn't really going to let Tatum be that, be all he can be and live up to his potential. So I think Kemba's a great fit for this team. He absolutely is, especially when you spell him with Marcus Smart um, mm-hmm. off the bench, a guy who's actually leading the team in assists of 4.9 a game, and then also a, you know an uber athletic defender, defender, excuse me, a guy that can guard the one, two, and sometimes on occasion the three. Yeah. So in this series, I expect him to be on Tobias Harris or Josh Richardson, whoever the perimeter guy is out on the court. And Kemba, going back to his uh, defensive matchup, he's going to see Shake Milton, I believe, a lot in the series. So yeah. that's his opportunity to really get to the rim and finish which is what he's so adept at totally i definitely agree with that um and with stevens and danny ainge another element here is you know every year we say how great job they they've done stuff they have all these chips eventually they got to push them to the middle of the table (laughs) right and some of this like they got to cash in at some point you know i'm not saying they're under pressure and there's still stevens uh, still a really young coach really young team but at some point they do need to get to that next step because we keep saying the Celtics next year the Celtics mm-hmm. team of the future eventually mm-hmm. you know you got to prove that you're the team of the future not the Bucks or Giannis exactly if he stayed, yeah. unless he leaves obviously I think from Danny Ainge's perspective he might be trying to build this team in the same way that the, the Celtic team that he was a part of where where it's a lot of homegrown talent yeah I think maybe he's just feeling like you know in two years Tatum and Brown are going to be so formidable that one-two punch that they don't necessarily need to go out and get somebody else but to your point I would do the same thing honestly you have Tatum you have Brown I think you keep 
two of them, but you could get rid of Marcus Smart. I think you could get him for something nice. I really thought they were going to do that with Rozier and not just let him walk as they did in free agency last year. Yeah, that, that was a, I'm sure that was a tough choice for them, but I think Smart, extending Smart was the right option for this team because you need someone that could come in and Marcus Smart can guard the point guard of the other team, which is such a big position in today's game. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he could switch one through three. I think he's he's getting really he's gotten really better as a uh, spot up shooter. Sometimes he takes you know questionable shots and does a little too much. But as far as his heart goes, his defense, what you're able to do with him on uh, you know on the defensive end, I, I think it was a good choice keeping him for this. Yeah, team. he does the things you can't teach. I mean, his hustle, his intangibles, and his mm-hmm. his IQ is really. One of the yeah. things that really stands out to me, I mean, his defensive and offensive awareness, he always seems to know where the ball is going or what's, what type of action is being run at all times. Yeah, it's, no, I agree. I um, I really like Marcus Smart as a, uh, as a player, as a teammate, it seems. I don't, not in the locker room, but he seems he brings a good, you know, energy to the court. And I think that's big for players like that, like him, Beverly, because in the bubble without the fans there, I think having those guys... Like that's an underrated aspect mm-hmm. you know, because they don't need uh, the crowd to give them that energy. The energy comes from them, and they can give that to quieter guys. You know, Kawhi and he's not much of a hoorah guy, but so I think mm-hmm. guys like Beverly and Mark Smart are really big to have in the bubble. Absolutely. So you're thinking Celtics in five here in this series? Yeah, Celtics in five. I think Embiid's gonna have a really good uh, series though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to go five because eventually them just force-feeding the ball to uh, and beat down low is going to wear out, and I don't think they have enough help uh, offensively mm-hmm. to match up with what the Celtics bring to the table. Yeah. So I'll also say Celtics and five. There's no shame to them. I mean, what would you expect? To, this team was built for a certain reason, and when you take a big piece out of it, out of it like Simmons, I mean, you know, they're just you're not going to beat a team like the Celtics. They might have not beaten the Celtics anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, it would have been a beautiful matchup to see Simmons on Tatum. Fun, and, though, but that's one of the few homegrown rivalries we have in the league. You know? Yes. So we don't have many of those anymore because players switch around teams and, and all that stuff. And, but that's actually one of the few rivalries we have. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a real shame the fans can't, you know, see that this year. But would that be part right. three? How many times have they played in the playoffs? Once? 21. This will be the 21st time that they've met in the playoffs. Yeah, so that's, so, that's, a, that's a shame that kind of got robbed away from NBA fans. But, you know, injuries happen. It is what it is. Right. So now I want to I bring up, I think, the series that I'm absolutely going to watch every second of. Not necessarily because I think this is going to be a competitive series, but just because of the players involved. Yeah. I'm um, talking about the Clippers and the Mavericks here in the Western Conference, a 2-7 matchup. And for those of you that didn't know this, the Dallas Mavericks this season – had the most efficient offense in NBA history. Yes. Outlasting last year's uh, champion, which was the Warriors. They Efficiency was every 100 possessions, they were scoring 115 points. This Mavericks team averaged 115.9 points per 100 possessions. And if you haven't watched this Mavericks team play, go watch this series. I promise you, you're going to be absolutely stunned and amazed at the magician that is Luka Doncic. I mean, just give me what your top three skills are for this young superstar. One, his, his passing IQ for being in the second year. I think 
uh, part of that tributes to he's been a, a pro for a lot of his teenage life, you know, coming from the mm-hmm. European League where they start early. And yep. he has shown that how big of an advantage that is to be able to play that type of basketball so early because Luca, <laughs> he does not look like a second year player at all. Like his decisions with the ball, his passing IQ. But um, then his shooting, obviously. You know, he hits very tough shots. He doesn't jump real high on his shots, but he's able to make the spe- you know enough space to shoot them. And then three, his his handles for being he's around six seven. He's a, you know he's, a, he's not a small guy, so having those handles and uh, underrated um, quickness. Like he, you know, he's not the fastest guy, but just like we were talking about Harden, they're not the fastest guys, but they can that first step they can get past you if you come up to take away their step back. Yeah, and Luka Doncic to me is a modern day Larry Bird, the way he's running this offense. Mm-hmm. Those of you that have watched, like my dad knows this especially, watching those Celtics teams, Larry Bird was the point guard of that team. He was the one that ran the offense. He had the ball the, you know, the most in his hands. Mm-hmm. He would be the one feeding guys on cuts or hitting Mikhail down low or Parrish on uh, pick and roll opportunities. And we're seeing the same thing this year with Luka Doncic. Every time he got in the, in the paint, watching the game against the uh, Bucks a couple of, I think it was last weekend so Saturday mm-hmm. every time Luka Doncic had the ball in his hands either he got a shot or he created an open shot for a teammate I love guys that go at their own pace mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying they never get rushed they're gonna get their, they get to their spots at the at the pace they want to get to them you know they they're dictating the movements you know some guys the defenders dictate where they go like they'll, they'll, they'll get them to go fast, you know, baseline or wherever they have help. But like Luca, Kawhi, you know, guys like that, they just go at their own pace. <laughs> and it's, I love watching it. It's, uh, it's, it's art. You know, Kyrie, same thing. It's, it's very much art, and I love watching Luca play. Yeah, and then we haven't even brought up the triple doubles that he's been putting up. I mean, he put up 17 this season, which is the most by anyone his age. I mean, he's the youngest player to ever do that. Led the NBA in triple doubles. No offense to Luka, but just my opinion. The triple doubles, it's, I don't know. Maybe it's because so many people are doing it now. It's like taking kind of the the wild factor off of the triple double. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that's after, you know, seeing like, Westbrook get all those uncontested rebounds. It kind of took away in hard. I was yeah, yeah I was gonna kind of say took that. Away yeah. the wow factor of the triple double. You know, you just you uh, yeah, have to it, bring it used to. It doesn't. I mean, Jason Kidd when he was playing was like the only guy that would get triple doubles. Now everyone mm-hmm. seems to get them, but the way Luca does it, I actually have to say, is different in the sense that he actually is big enough to get those rebounds on his own, not necessarily players letting him get them. Um, yeah. But. Mm-hmm. One specific uh, triple-double that he had in the bubble against Sacramento, he had a 30-20-10 game. Youngest player to ever do that. I mean, he's on the finalist for most improved player, and he won Rookie of the Year last season. Um, yeah, un- I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. And then we haven't even talked about his sidekick and the transformation of Kristaps Porzingis in the bubble. Who, who, I mean, by the way, this year has basically <laughs> taken the role of stretch five, but this is only... You know, that first season after you tear your ACL, you're kind of just getting back into the swing of things. I think next year we're going to see mm-hmm. a lot more of that Nick Perzingis. Yes, we are. Thing, where he could dominate a game on his own. I just think this year with him getting, you know, off the torn ACL, he was 
happy to take the stretch, you know, stretch five roll to create the and pop for Luca's pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And I think next year we're going to see more of a, you know, dominant Porzingis. And that two, those two are going to be explosive. They need to, you know, they Dallas needs to start playing some defense, though. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's why they're not going to win this series against the Clippers because that's exactly what Doc Rivers is group is going to implement as much as we love to talk about Luca Chris Stapps in this offense yet yeah, their defense is horrendous I mean horrendous they're and they don't have anyone that can guard Kawhi or Paul George in the series so it's it's going to be a short series I think I think this is going to go five but man are these games going to be it's fun it's going to be fun games exactly and that's all yeah. I go for because in the NBA you don't get many upsets you know the best the guys mm-hmm. the teams with the most talent usually win because it's a long series it's not March Madness where it's one game anything can happen you know these are seven game series so things usually even out how they're supposed to go uh barring injury but the best you could hope for is like close fun entertaining games and i'm i'm right with you tom i can't wait to watch that series yeah and i want to go back to Persingas really quickly you mentioned you want to see next season him play like a, the new york nick version of himself mm-hmm. i think we're we started to see flashes of that in this bubble i was going to bring up his statistics here in the eight games he played in orlando he averaged 30.5 points a game and nine and a half rebounds and going into the uh the bubble in the, in the games prior he was only averaging 19.2 points per game and still averaging the same amount of rebounds so his scoring went up, and we saw him get some explosive alley-oop opportunities, some putbacks that I hadn't seen in about three, four years out of Brazilians. That No, definitely. Because because the season got pushed back, you're starting to see how these guys are going to look next season. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because we're almost till next season. <laughs> so I think you're starting to already see, as you said, the old the New York Brazilians come back because of that time layoff. So I'm... So... Look, the Clippers, I, I got winning in five as well. But if they can't, you know, they, they can't be nonchalant with it. They're going to have mm-hmm. to bring it to beat the Mavericks because they could, the Mavericks score some points on you. And that's the only thing. As much depth as the Clippers have, it's the three-point shooting that is going to be the bugaboo for this team. If they're well, not able to... Oh, if, I don't, if you don't mind me cutting you off for a second, only Clippers, only team in the league that four players average over 18 points per game. Mm-hmm. So that shows their depth and how many different options they can go to if somebody's having an off game or, right, you know, so to speak. Um, but in this series, I think three-point shooting is going to be big for them because you know the Mavericks are going to be firing the triple as much as any team in the NBA. I mean, you have Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway Jr., who both are – I mean, Seth Curry's career three-point percentage is almost 45%, which is insane. Yes. Uh, Hardaway put up 40% this season, and then – they have guys off the bench like Trey Burke who also can fire a good amount of three-pointers as well. So, again, over the long haul, we agree that the, the Clippers are the deeper team, the better defensive team, and better coach. I mean, both these coaches have won titles, but Doc Rivers to me is, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame coach. So he's, he's going to have these guys ready. I think you kind of gave the good things about the Mavericks and said they're negatives. All those guys you named are shooting great and, and everything. But the reason they kind of bounce around is they can't play any defense. Yep. <laughs> Trey yep. Burke, Seth Curry, Tim Hart, you mm-hmm. know, these aren't defenders. So you right. have them all out there, but who's going to guard anybody? Exactly. So, that's the good, so I think going forward, I think they're going to have to give up some of that offense to get a little more defense and balance that team out in order for them to beat, you know, the Clippers going forward or, or anybody. I, I personally just think 
you might need to give sacrifice some of that offense and get some two-way players there who might shoot a little worse, but they'll play some defense. Yeah, they're going to definitely need help on the defensive end. But like Miami, I think Dallas has really set themselves up nicely to oh, yeah, get a third a- third big-name player you know, in the coming seasons. Uh, well, probably right. a wing, more than likely. Like They're showing free agents that, hey, you, this is the team you want to play on going forward. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, we think the Clippers are going to advance here in five games. Yeah. And, again, I think these games are going to be really exciting, but overall Clippers deeper team better team and again they're on a mission this organization has never made it to a Western Conference final and I think that'll change this year obviously with the talent that they have and the coaching everything but a lot of pressure on the Clippers, Clippers from the coaching staff even their assistant coaches I mean yeah Sam Cassell is one of the best assistants Sam yeah Tyron Lucy and Cassell the two of them yeah Clippers have they're the team to beat in this this whole this whole thing they got the best team you know they they have two great uh, wings, which is usually the formula for winning titles. So the, mm-hmm. the Clippers are definitely the team to beat here. So I, And I think they're going to get it done against the Mavericks. All right. So the last Western Conference first-round matchup actually had game one played today mm-hmm. uh, between the Utah Jazz and Denver Nuggets. And these two teams fun. basically picked right back up where they left off in that, that matchup in the bubble where they went to two overtimes. Yeah, poor, poor, poor Spider. <laughs> yeah, you know that's my guy. I felt terrible for him, man. Yeah, fifty-seven points, nine rebounds, seven assists. He was nineteen of thirty-three from the field today, and they weren't able to get it done. Yeah, they. But the Jazz have the pro, the same problem they've had because, well, one, let's start with Conley's. You know, had to leave the bubble. Yep, obviously, which which hurts them because they got him for a specific reason. And that was to make the game easier on on Donovan Mitchell. So he didn't have to put all the offense on him because the Jazz are real limited on playmakers. Clarkson's Mm -hmm. helped. You know, he's been pretty good. But we're talking trying to get a championship here. And Clarkson as your second best offensive option is just not going to get it done. Nope. Nope. So uh, the Jazz have the same problems. Mitchell has to work too hard. (laughs) Sure does. Yeah. You know, he hit great shots today. But over a series... Yeah, you know that's why he gets inefficient because he has to work so hard for his points because they're not able to make the game easy on him, which was supposed to be Conley's job, but uh, that didn't that didn't uh, you know he's left the bubble so Tough yeah and uh, yep and Conley having to leave the bubble for the birth of his son so again that was something the Jazz had planned they knew he was going to leave at some point but the I was reading the article about this uh, this morning. The child's due date was at the end of the month, supposed to be the 27th. And because it was premature, it kind of uh, derailed the Jazz's plans to hopefully steal a couple of games from this Denver Nugget team. Then when but, he comes back, he has to quarantine, and I, I just don't know if he'll yeah. be able to come back in time. They might be down 3-0 when he comes back, to be honest. Right. Huge loss for the Jazz, who already were missing uh, Bogdanovich, who exactly. was having a career year, averaging 20 points a game. pickup that addressed mm-hmm. the, a hole they had and He's also gone. So, um, you know, I feel for Donovan. He put up a hell of a fight today. But the Nuggets, that that was the game the Jazz had to win. Yes, it was. And the fact they didn't get it done because of great shooting by Murray and some clutch buckets by Jokic. But that was the game. They didn't win it. And honestly, with losing that game, it it could be a real short series for them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think attrition is going to be what does the Jazz in as well. I honestly think Denver's going to sweep Utah. 
Yeah. And the reason I, I say that, not because of uh, the lack of depth that Utah has, but I just think that this Nuggets team is so scary when they get everyone healthy. I mean, you saw how well they played today, and they didn't even have Will Barton or Gary Harris. I mean, but they could, Mike Malone's squad, if they want to, can run about 11 guys deep. They could bring Bull Bull off the bench for some, some second, third quarter minutes if they really wanted to. Michael Porter Jr., who's blossomed in this bubble. They have so many wings. I mean, Jeremy Grant, Torrey Craig, Paul Millsap. Monty Morris at the guard position gave him a really nice 13 points off the bench. And then, you know, Jokic, best passing big man I've seen in a long, long time. I mean, he's he's as good as the Gasol brothers are when it comes to his, his eyes in the back of his head facilitating for them. And Jamal Murray, I mean, the playoffs seem to be his moment. He loves the stage. And I know he struggled at the end of that Portland series last year, Game 7 especially, went yeah. 4 of 18 shooting. But this kid is a playoff performer. I mean, he was hitting tough turnaround jump shots, contested layups. I mean, it didn't matter who they had on him, whether it was Royce O'Neal or Joe Ingles or even Mitchell on occasion. He was just rising and firing and, and hitting. Yeah, I really like the Nuggets as a team. You know, when you take out the Bucks, Clippers, Lakers, and you ask yourself, okay, who's left? Who out of the sleeper teams do you, mm-hmm. has the best chance? I mean, if you say the Celtics, well, the Nuggets got to be one B then, one A. Yeah. Because they have a really good team, real deep, as you mentioned. And they run a real smooth offense, partly because of Jokic, or a big part of it, because Jokic is passing. And if Murray's able to hit shots, that you know, they, they, they can make a team sweat. They can make the Lakers a Clippers sweat if they're hitting their shots. Yeah, the, just the biggest uh, weakness for this Nuggets team is Jokic's defensive play. I mean, yes. that's the only thing that's keeping them from, in my opinion, and making as, a title run. today when Mitchell went to the rim, that's still a problem. They got. Yes, it is. When, yeah. when Jokic is the only big on the court for the Nuggets, that paint is just, it's... Uh, well, it's definitely not unlocked. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Swiss cheese down there, and that's the yeah. sad thing. They have such great perimeter defenders. It has to be so devastating and demoralizing if you're Jeremy Grant or Torrey Craig, where you have Donovan Mitchell the whole game, and you know you're at the fourth quarter, you're tired, and you're hoping you can get some frontline protection. He gets yeah. to the rim, and it's an easy bucket for him or a foul. Exactly, and that's still a weakness they got. Even you know, some people thought that with the loss of weight Jokic had, that he'd be lighter on his. His feet, I'm not saying he isn't, but it, it, from watching today, it's not enough. His, his paint defense is still pretty mm-hmm. bad. And uh, I just see when you're talking about AD, LeBron, you know, Kawhi, yeah. Paul, George. I mean, these guys, Mitchell is one thing, and those those guys are another thing as well. Jokic's mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. paint defense is going to be a problem because their best offense is when he's at the five. You know, when you start putting plumb – if they have to put Plumlee out there, you know, that loses some of the spacing and and the great things they do so well. So that, that's a big problem. Their best lineup is their worst, is a problem on defense. Yeah, and unfortunately for Denver, that's not something you're going to be able to fix this season. So yeah, moving forward, I mean, this is a team that, that has to be on the rise in the Western Conference. Unfortunately, they're in the Western Conference where every team seems to be on the rise. I mean, that Phoenix Suns team that didn't make the playoffs, the win 8 no, they were really impressive. Sacramento has always been that team the last few years where we're waiting for them to take the next step. And then you know Golden State is going to be right back in the thick of it this year as well. Oh, yeah. So it's tough out there if you're a Western Conference team. you gotta, you got to get that title run now. I mean, this this window for the Lakers and Clippers 
Clippers have a little bit longer window, in my opinion, but for the Lakers especially, this is this is the year. If you want to get that title, it has to happen this year. Yes, it ha- they, their window is in this about three years, I would say, but the mm-hmm. best chance for them is this year. Even, even though I will say this, their team might actually be better next year because they had to kind of last minute patch yeah, do them up because they yeah. got AD and so they had to just scramble and sign you know one year contracts and all that so mm-hmm. we'll see what happens in the offseason because next year who knows they might get a big fish so and then we'll they might get you know a uh uh a three a third guy to go along with ad and lebron so we'll see we'll see what happens all right so Back to the Eastern Conference. These are the, uh, the last two series to preview here. So this is the 2-7 matchup in the East between uh, Toronto and Brooklyn. Yeah. Now, if this was a playoff series in 2021, my goodness, would this be <laughs> absolutely wonderful series. You know, you have KD, Kyrie, yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie out on the court. All these guys are not going to be playing for Brooklyn. I have to give Karis LeVert and Jock Vaughn especially a lot of credit for how well this next team has played in the bubble. I mean, they, they've they actually played some really inspiring ball considering the fact that they, our hodgepodge, put this team together at the last minute. And again, they might be able to take a game or two from Toronto, but this is the team that everybody's been sleeping on in the, in the NBA. It's the Toronto Raptors. They lost Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green to free agency, but they actually were an even better defensive team this year than they were with Kawhi Lauer, excuse me, with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, the Toronto Raptors, they don't get a lot of respect as far as everybody kind of pats them on the shoulder and says, oh, you guys did such a great job without Kawhi. But I, I think they're tired of hearing that about, you know, mm-hmm. and getting just a pat on the back for having a nice season. Everybody kind of wants to call their season. You know, they had a nice season. I, I think they're they're going to come out angry. I think Kyle Lowry is going to come out loose because they he's won that championship. That pressure yep. is not on him anymore to show up in the playoffs. He's done it. You know, he's a champion. And I think the Raptors could come in and really give um, the Celtics or Bucks some some problems, and even possibly win because. As far as the Bucks go, down the stretch, with Giannis still having an inconsistent jump shot and needing to get to the paint, I yep. don't see any reason they can't play. The Raptors can't play Giannis like they did last year. Clog the paint, make him kick to Lopez or mm-hmm. the shooters or Bledsoe, yep. Yep. and say, hey, see if you guys can hit enough shots. Because until Giannis' jumper is um, consistent, he's always going to be at the mercy of the floor spacers. Because no exactly. team's gonna let him just come down and get dunks in the half court, you know, half court offense in a close game in the fourth quarter. And I know Kawhi Leonard is no longer on this team, but a player that missed all of 2019, OG Ananubi, has yeah. stepped into that role phenomenally for this Raptors team. I mean, he's improved his three point shooting. He's up to 39% from the three point line this year. And you mm-hmm. talked about the Clippers having four guys over 18 points a game. Yeah. Well, this Raptors team has six guys over 15 points a game. Nice. So yeah. they have, they don't necessarily even have a star player. Siakam's their all-star guy this year, but mm-hmm. he doesn't necessarily, I don't think he has to play like a, a star for them. I think they no. just need to continue to have that balance. You have Lowry, you mentioned Fred Van Fleet, the, the Drake clone who plays like the world is on fire when he's got the ball in his hands. You have Norman Powell who took a big step up this season. 
And they still have all the guys that built that wall last season in Ibaka, Marcus Saul, and Siakam to, to fight off those drives from Giannis and, you know, presumably in the Eastern Conference Finals. Exactly. A big part of their defensive scheme is still there. They still got length. Um, and I don't see any reason why they can't give the Bucks a, a run for their money again or possibly even beat the Bucks. I think they're going to be a big problem for the Bucks. The only question is Kawhi provided a lot of offense, obviously. Yes, he was out of his mind last year in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So that would be the only cause to pause for the Raptors is if they can. Those scoring droughts, yeah. Yeah, those scoring droughts. Who are you going to give the ball to? Because, you know, the playoffs, as you know, sometimes you can't hit a shot. The other team's going on a run. You need that guy you could just hand the ball to, not no plays, and say, we need a bucket, like Kawhi mm-hmm. did time and time again for them last year. So without them having that, that's my only hesitation with them is who's going to get that bucket when the other team's going on a run? Or who's going to stop the bleeding? Who's going to get that big shot, hit that big shot? That's a that's a really good point. And for me, it's like, again, I know we just talked about Siakam. I don't think it's necessarily him. I think it might be Van Fleet that gets the, the ball and that opportunity or Lowry. Because yes. Siakam's the one that I think I is going to go with Lowry. Plan for. I think yeah. they're going to give it to Lowry. Lowry, yeah, mm-hmm. Philly guy, yeah, he's he's tough as they come, man. And what he did last year in that that final series, mm-hmm. I think he really was. It was one of those like get the monkey off of your back moments where you know LeBron had tormented him so much in his career yeah. to finally not have to deal with him in the Eastern Conference and get get all the way to the finals and play with house money as, as he did. And he was, you know, that, those last two games, five and six especially, how Lowry played out of his mind. Yeah, I. I I totally agree with you, Tom. Um, on the Nets, real quick, I'm not going to talk go too in depth with them. I'll say this: Lavert and Dinwiddie and stuff. They're going to be able to get a great experience being the primary guys on offense in a playoff series for when Kyrie and KD come back. But as we all know, this wasn't their year to right get it done. So no, you know, no problem with that. They're going to get a bunch of great uh, playoff experience. And they'll be that much better when KD and Kyrie come back next year. And they could possibly be the first seed next year. Yeah, and I think if anything, this is just going to cement Jock Vaughn's status. And they'll, I think they're going to give him the uh, head coaching opportunity next year as well. I agree. Based on what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. He's done a great job. All right. So, yeah, again, I think this will go five. I think Brooklyn might take one. And I'm going to get this to Toronto in five games. I'll go with that. I'm good with that. Five games. All right. Now, last but not least here in the Eastern Conference is the Milwaukee Bucks and Orlando Magic, who, again, we just talked about Giannis. The season that he is having this year, though, statistically, I mean, is absolutely insane. Man, career high in points and rebounds. He's averaging a shade under 30 points a game. He's averaging 13.6 rebounds per game and five and a half assists. Most dominant type of player in the paint since Shaq. Yes, he is. My yep. I, I totally agree with that that analysis. I mean, that's what he does. Far he's the, he's not looking. He just doesn't dunk the ball. He is destroying. You know, he looks to destroy you. <laughs> yes. When yes, he does. Busy. And the funny thing a bit about Giannis, he plays exactly how most people play on a video game. Yeah. He's spamming the same move <laughs> over and over and over. He yeah, even the euro, uh, spin the the euro spin. and the spin. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's coming, but you can't stop it. Exactly, and especially because just like Shaq, one of the reasons they could be so dominant in the paint like that, put bullying people, is because the NBA—it's a superstar league. We all know that. 
So they're going to let Giannis, the sh- you know, mm-hmm. the Giannis of the world, Shaqs, LeBrons, they're going to let them, you know, do certain moves in the paint. Because a lot of that could you can make cases of some offensive fucks. <laughs> especially when they play Boston. I mean, uh, Marcus Smart, especially, is always the guy that's not afraid to let his body go on the line and try to take a charge in those situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the refs will give them the call and stuff, but it's no... Uh, no surprise to anyone that Giannis more times than not is going to get the benefit of the call. Yeah, and in this series, again, Nikola Vucevic is a lot better than people realize, but there's no one that's going to be able to guard Giannis on the Atlanta Magic when they're in that half-court setting. Yeah, we, we won't uh, kid ourselves. This this could be one of those this is, series that yeah. should just call it in uh, three. As, uh, <laughs> as, our, as our friend Caesar said, Skeezy said, this this is this, these are the series that make you think maybe they should go to best of five in the first round, right? Which, which is what it used to be um, back in the '90s. The, the first series, uh, first round series, used to be a best of five for this. Exactly. I think exact yeah. reason. And these are the series that make you think. Yeah, maybe they should go back to that. I think if anything for Milwaukee, this is the series where Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton can gain a lot of confidence moving forward, and you're going to need that out of these two guys. I mean, with Middleton. He was a three-tenths of a percentage point away in his field goal percentage from having the daunted 50-40-90 campaign. And just just fun trivia for you. Do you know who the other players on this list are? The, for the 50-40-90? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Curry, I know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Ray? Ray Allen? Nope. No, not Reggie? Reggie did it, yep. Reggie. Um... Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, those are my two. I'm not sure who else. All right. Well, I, I'm cheating because I wrote the list down, so I don't <laughs> want people to think I actually know this off the top of my head. But so the eight players to do this were Larry Bird, who did it two times, back to back seasons. Mm-hmm. Steve Nash. This is this crazy thing. Steve Nash did this four times. Okay, yeah. between 2005 and 2010. And I did some research on this. He was one free throw away in 2010 from doing it for a fifth time. So wow. he was. Uh, absolutely incredible shooter I, I think that's why when Steph Curry was starting to become the player that he is Steve Nash was the comparison he was getting rightfully so uh, KD has done this before with Oklahoma City his MVP mm-hmm. campaign uh, you mentioned Reggie Miller Dirk Nowitzki did it in 2011 okay and the last two are just I think are comical we mentioned him earlier in the show right. Malcolm Brogdon did it yeah. last year with the Milwaukee Bucks mm-hmm. and the last one is Mark Price who did it in 1992 with the Cleveland Cavaliers okay yeah I mean those are those are some great shooters. So <laughs> it's a great company to be in. For, uh, yeah, so for Middleton, I think this was the year that – I don't know if it's going to happen in the playoffs, but I think he finally changed my opinion on him. I always thought that he was an 82-game player, as Draymond Green likes to say, like doesn't yeah. show up in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Last year, he he struggled at times, and at other times he was, he was playing pretty well. He was mostly inconsistent last year. Mm-hmm. I think this season I expect him to actually be that number two guy to Giannis and help Milwaukee finally get to that – uh, finals appearance. Well, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's it's definitely a big part of it is on him. Because Giannis's game, I mean, it's hard to choke for the way Giannis plays. I mean, he's, <laughs> the you know, uh, the defense, what's going to happen is the defense is going to, you know, as we talked about with the Raptors, they're going to say, Giannis, we're not letting you get these easy two points. Let's see what middle, you know, we're going to make Middleton beat us, Brooke Lopez, Bledsoe. So the big part about the Bucks is will the others, will the others uh, show up? As Shaq calls them, the others. Mm-hmm. 
absolutely. So I'm going to go with a sweep here. Uh, Milwaukee in four games. and Same. Uh, same for you. Four games as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So same. I'm going to go uh, four games here. All right. Perfect. So uh, I really wanted to thank you, JD, for, for jumping on. One, to being flexible enough to, to switch in topics here. I know we wanted to talk about the NFC North. And we will get to that eventually, maybe tomorrow or another day. But oh, you know, uh, again, thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. It depends on if, you know, people are really wanting to hear about that division, honestly. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm just playing. I, the, NFC, the NFC North, is it's a good division, but, you know, it could go. Uh, they're up and down, you know, mm-hmm. especially my Bears. Or, we'll see how the Vikings play, but we'll, we'll see. Well, we could definitely, I'd be... Um, thanks for having me on, Tom. I mm-hmm. had a great time talking NBA with you. And I feel like I'm so happy that the NBA playoffs are starting up. And it feels like that NCAA feeling with it starting at noon and being on. Yes, okay. I totally agree. With that. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me. And I would love to come on. And next time we talk about the NFC North, the Bears, you already know. So thanks mm-hmm. for having me, man. Yeah, of course, JD. And I actually was thinking that maybe when the second round uh, starts right before that, we could do the same thing here, just preview the second round and talk about what happened in the first round, things that may have been surprising or, you know, went chalk, essentially. Sounds good to me. I'm always down to talk hoops. All right. So, again, thank you, everyone, for listening. I know that uh, moving forward, we have a lot of live sports to talk about now that sports are coming back. We have the football season coming up in about a month. That was the reason why I've been previewing all the divisions, but mm-hmm. we have the NBA playoffs. We have the Stanley Cup playoffs in hockey. We have the Champions League in soccer. So there's a lot going on all across the worldwide world of sports. And I just want to, again, thank everyone for listening and to stay tuned and be ready for next week's episode. Mm-hmm.